scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 39. Please open your Bibles as we uh, read from this passage. And if I could have the other readers to come up as well. Again, our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 39. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay, give without paying. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your to or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel, before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of, this, of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father 
and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever, whoever finds, finds his, his life will, will lose it, it. and whoever, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. From the book Radical, finding many portions of Scripture that stir us, we see a variety of reactions from individuals. I'm sure there are many that, that I'm not even aware of. Some are responding, you know, I realize that God doesn't intend for me to just be a bench warmer. I want to be in it. I want to be in the game. Others are saying, you know, I want to serve God. I just don't know where to start. Some might be saying, you know, this <laughs> radical talk is a little unsettling. You see the picture of the upside-down house, and you're like, hmm, don't know if I'm quite ready for that. Well, I do know this, and if I could offer somewhat of a parenthesis in our series for a moment, I just, as I have thought through and prayed through what God is doing, I'm very well aware that many of us here today are experiencing pain in our lives for one reason or another, and the last thing on our minds is, I'm going to go serve somebody else. You might be coming today, or weeks before, or weeks after this, just completely overwhelmed with life. I get that. understand that. More importantly, Jesus understands that. And I don't want this radical series to overwhelm. None of us do. It's so important. But it's also important not to ignore that pain and understand that it's there. And we understand that. As I was praying through it, I was thinking of some verses that have encouraged me in the past. And one of them is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. A verse, some verses that uh, we recite frequently here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the first prayer I think we need to to pray because sometimes the stuff that we're going through is because of us. That's hard to accept sometimes, but it's true. Sometimes when we think through all of the pain that we're experiencing, we realize, I need God to search me and see if there's anything that I need to change. As much as I would like to change the world around me, I first need to ask him to examine me. Another verse that has come to mind is a familiar one, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. But the interesting thing in those couple verses is the imperative, the command is not casting. The command comes in verse 6 before that. In verse 6, before that, he says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And then it comes, casting all your care on him. The first step is that humbling. 
And then, yes, as we do that, we can cast those cares on him. There's never too many for him. You think of that with an infinite God. There's never too many cares for him, and we can do that freely, casting those cares on him. Another verse that I have come to that has been just uh, very encouraging uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when Paul writes this and the things that he was going through, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And later on in the chapter, he says, So, we do not lose heart. Amen. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Isn't that encouraging to hear? All the stuff that we're dealing with. Yes, God knows about it. We can trust him with those things. In the midst of that, in the midst of the pain that we feel, we know that he is the great healer. He is the one who does the healing. We can trust him with that. As we've read before already, we can see that Matthew chapter 10 is not for the faint of heart. It's not light reading. It's pretty significant. And today as we're going to move rather quickly through that chapter. If you would, just open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, because I'm not going to read word for word as it has already been read, but I'll take the time to highlight some of the points that he makes in there and apply them to our lives. You see, to a certain extent, we are all, by human nature, comfort seekers. We tend to hoard and cherish things that indeed might be valuable and even useful, but in the process, we refuse to accept any risk. We tend to lose our focus, and we follow the easiest path through life. Could we be missing something? I think so. And if we Quite frankly, if we claim to be Christians, disciples of Jesus, Scripture lays it out for us rather distinctly. We know from Carrie's message, Pastor Carrie's message last week from Matthew 28, and also the passage today, there's no doubt that God expects every disciple to be a disciple maker. If you weren't here last week, Perry, your Pastor Carrie dropped some pretty significant statements for us. Disciple making isn't just for a special class of Christians or for the first disciples. He also said that every one of us needs to be stretched. And one phrase that he wanted us to remember was this, proactive disciple-making is a lifestyle. And since this every believer a disciple is indeed the fact of the matter, we're going to look briefly at this narrative highlight a few points, and then identify three of the overlooked and often uncomfortable absolute essentials for a disciple-maker. 
So Matthew chapter 10, this is in essence Jesus' special instructions for his 12 disciples sending them out. In the very first verse, the authority comes from Jesus himself. And then in the second verse and following, we get the names of the 12 disciples. This is, this is not the SEAL Team 6. This is the original SEAL Team 12, sending them out on a special mission. Because you read some of this, it's like, wow. Yeah, this was serious stuff. In verses 5 through 6, he names a specific targeted group for this particular mission, to the lost sheep of Israel. It's a term that was frequently used, and quite frankly, Jesus himself got that from Jeremiah. Chapter 50, verse 6, my people have been lost sheep. So he sends them first to the people of Israel, and this is consistent throughout scripture as well. If you read in in Acts 1-8, remember that Jesus said, first go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. So he's sending them out, these specific 12, on this specific mission to these specific people. And the message? The message is the kingdom of heaven. Now that sounds pretty benign to us, but at that time, for the Romans, anytime anyone mentioned kingdom, the red flags went up like, hey, 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 we're in charge here. Remember the Roman occupiers? And if anybody said kingdom of heaven, then the Jewish people said, ho, 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 wait a minute, we, we have keys to heaven. So if somebody comes around preaching the kingdom of heaven, then, then they're kind of viewed as, as subversive. Something's taking place here. It's a rebellion. But these are the words. And in parallel passages, we find that he also says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And in verse 8, for that time and that place, he wants them to preach this message while performing miraculous acts of compassion as signs. As you go and preach the message, don't just preach, but perform these miracles as well. And just as you did nothing to experience the grace of God, share this message in word and deed with everyone. It says you receive without paying, give without pay. In other translations it says you have freely received, so freely give. What we have received from God is not meant for us to keep. It's to be given away. And that's his intention here with his disciples. And then verse 9, don't acquire gold or silver or copper for your belts. Don't go out and buy supplies, things that would serve to distract. The laborer deserves his food. Those to whom you minister should support you. And paraphrase, it could, it could say, avoid the distracting luxuries, trusting God to provide through others, maybe a means of support. We, especially in America, are accustomed so much to our luxuries, making sure we have enough with us. One of the interesting things we've experienced in the Philippines um, is when we've taken a, a group of uh, high school age and above youth to a, a week-long camp. And we Americans, the team, will take our... our, uh, our we, we can fit everything for the week-long camp into like a carry-on or something. And we take it, and I remember putting it on the bus and, and loading it under the bus and looking in there, it's like, it's empty. Okay, there's, look up on the bus and there's like 40 kids in there. Okay. So we load our stuff up and get up on the bus, and there they're sitting there with, with like a little bag or something. That's all they have. They have a few clothes and a bar of soap, and they've learned how to do that every day. And here we are with our, <laughs> um, congratulating ourselves because we fit everything into a carry-on. We tend to do that. We take a lot, of, a lot of stuff with us. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples at this time and this place is, don't bother with that stuff. 
this message is urgent. You need to get it out. And for them, that meant going without the gold and silver. No bag for the journey. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, in it and stay there until you depart. And he said, in essence, he's saying in these verses, 11 and following, he's saying, be discerning. There will be some who accept your message and your miracles, and there will be others who reject it. Be prepared for that. And, and he also says, it's an interesting phrase in here, I don't know if you caught that, shake the dust from your feet. If somebody refuses you, shake the dust from your feet. You know what used to happen? is Back then, some of the Jewish leaders, perhaps, or others, if they went to Gentile territory, on their way out and back into Jewish territory, they would stop, take off their sandals, and dust them off. Can you imagine that? If you're a Gentile sitting there in front of your house watching the people go by, and all of a sudden, these, these individuals stop, just after they pass your house, take the shoes off, dust them off, and move on. You're like, really? And what Jesus is saying is to the Jewish people to do it to other Jewish people. That's how significant this message is. The kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 16, he uses two extremes here. Four animals, two extremes. You see that in there? Interesting how he... This is how Matthew writes, by the way. Uh, That's why chapter 10 is such a sense of urgency. Because Matthew compacts things and puts them together tightly. And here it is. Sheep contrasted with wolves. Two extremes. First you have the sheep. And this is what we, this is what he's telling the disciples are going to be like the sheep. And, and see, sheep are very vulnerable. Okay? They, it, it, it doesn't take much. In fact, if, in some cases, if you frighten a sheep enough, it can't even run. It stands there, freezes, and then falls over. Okay? And then they have this wool coat that's just like Velcro, so you just reach out like a wolf or something, got them. So they're very, very vulnerable, vulnerable animals. And wolves on the other hand, are very cunning. They travel in packs. They can take down huge animals. And so you have the contrast ones, and he wants them to be be like sheep. And I'm like, God, can I be on the wolf team instead of the sheep? But no, he wants us to be like the sheep. And you'll be like among the wolves, but be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. Be discerning. And so this message comes out, the kingdom of heaven, you're thinking, yes, people will just flock to my message. They'll put my picture on the billboards. Everyone will say, what a wonderful message and person this is. Wait a minute. Here's the result, verse 17. Beware of men. They're going to deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. The courts the Roman courts, synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, both and. Dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Wow, that's the result of your wonderful message. See, we want our message to be well well received. And often today we put it in terms of tolerant. Okay, want to be tolerant. And yes, we should be open and loving, absolutely. But we can't change the message. It must stay the same. And that's what he's telling the disciples. Keep the message on target. The flogging, the courts. Now, at this point, you probably imagine the disciples listening to this, tooling through this. Okay, we're, we're part of the team. Yes, team 12, uh, team, SEAL team 12, whatever it is. 
And then he gets to this, and they're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, Matthew and a few others kind of squirming uncomfortably and saying, does he really mean that? And, 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 uh, and James saying to his brother John, John, don't tell mom about this part, okay? You know, so they're, they're probably a little nervous at this point. Is he for real? But innocent as doves, but with a message that is offensive to many. The kingdom of heaven calls for undivided allegiance to the king. Turn in repentance from sin. It's a timeless principle here. When faithful to God and his cause, the disciples, and by extension we, may be persecuted because of who Christ is, not because of who we are. It's often it's, it can be illustrated this way. Think of it in some countries where you go today, if you are an American, in some cases you are automatically at risk just because you're American. You want to say, wait a minute, I'm, I, I, I don't necessarily believe all this. But no, if you are an American, you have an American passport, you are at risk. And that's similar to what Jesus is saying here. Because your allegiance is to me, to the Heavenly Father, then you'll be at risk. And for the disciples, it did have it happen. Acts chapter 4, um, Peter and John, is taken, they're taken into custody by the Jewish leaders. Acts chapter 12, Herod kills James and arrests Peter. But in the midst of this, don't abandon, don't compromise the message, don't try to soften the blow. Skipping down to verse 19, I told you we're going to move fast uh, through these, these verses. And he said, notice that uh, the very first word in verse 19 isn't if. It's when. Big difference there. Right? When they deliver you over. This is going to happen. Don't be anxious how you're going to speak or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour. Now, this is Jesus saying, I'm preparing you. The message is going to come from me. You don't have to worry about it. This isn't saying to preachers or teachers, don't bother preparing. That's, not, that's misapplied here, okay? It's saying at that time, when you're called on, when you're a representative of the kingdom of heaven, I'll give you the words to say. And he did that. He promised that and he did that. Verse 21, there's some family divisions. Something as strong as family ties may be severed over following Jesus. We'll revisit this later in verse 34. And, but look in verse 22. Here's what's going to happen. You can be hated for my name's sake. We want to be loved, but hated for his name's sake. Not hated because we're jerks, okay? That, that's not, because sometimes we can tend to do that. We don't need to be abrasive like that. But hated for his name's sake. Verse 23, actually, this is interesting. Verse 23 is one of the more difficult passages in the, in the uh, New Testament to interpret. Uh, There have been a number of opinions offered as to when is this going to happen? You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Many commentators land on the uh, fall of the temple 40 years later as being this point. Uh, Most commentators actually actually name that. But Jesus is saying, you're going to continue. Go from town to town to town. Keep preaching the message. Be faithful. Verse 24, don't be surprised when they experience persecution. If they follow Jesus, they should expect no less. A disciple is not above his teacher or a servant above his master. What they're saying is, what Jesus is saying is, if they follow him, they should expect no less. The Jewish leaders accuse Jesus of having a demon. And here they're saying, they're probably going to do the same to you. 
Verses 26 and 27 really is a, a reality of, and truth versus fantasy and falsehood. So have no fear of them. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Don't be afraid. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's, that's some pretty heavy words there. As we go out and we do our testimony and we witness, realize, you realize in other parts of the world there are others who do the same thing that we do, but they, their very lives are at risk because of the message. But he says, I'm going to take care of you. Verse 29 I'll take care of you. Uh, You remember the sparrows? This is back from chapter 6 of the the Sermon on the Mount. I watch over everything. God is saying this is his sovereignty. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You you are of more value than many sparrows. So whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father. This is not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Remember Romans 1.16 where Paul writes this. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Don't be ashamed. The gospel is very clear. All we, need to is, is, all we need to do is express it and leave the results up to God. See, they were be, being deployed for the spread of the gospel, but it wasn't a covert operation. Okay? He wasn't recruiting them for the CIA. This is something very public, as it should be for us as well. And at that time, to publicly acknowledge Jesus as the Jewish Messiah for those disciples meant significant risk. And notice the change in pronouns in verse 32. Because he moves from the 12 disciples, and in verse 32 he says, everyone, and in verse 33 he says, whoever. These exclusive instructions are now turning a bit broader. What could be applied to us before now is. This is for us. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute. What about John fourteen twenty seven? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Yes, that is God's peace. No question about it. But this peace is saying, see, Jesus is saying, my presence and my message require a response. That response will result in strong resistance from some. And that strong resistance will spell trouble for my disciples. So I've come to bring a sword in that sense. Because some people will resist that message. Just the fact of the matter. And in these few verses that follow, verses 34 through 37... Some of the two of them, I would say almost the ultimate sacrifice, family, family relationships, and one's own life. That's how significant. When we talk about allegiance to the message, allegiance to our king, nothing should get in the way. Not our family, not our very lives. Wow. That's significant. Some of us, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to imagine, and you think, well, the family... I was reading this past week of a, a young man who was formerly Muslim, and he related how he came to know Christ 
And just before he was, before he stepped and made that decision for Christ, he was thinking this, how could I betray my family after all they had done for me? By becoming a Christian, not only would I lose all connection with the Muslim community around me, my family would lose their honor as well. My decision would not only destroy me, it would also destroy my family, the ones who loved me most and sacrificed so much for me. Wow. This is Nabil Qureshi. He's an itinerant speaker with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. But here's what happened. I knelt at the foot of my bed and gave up my life. A few days later, the two people I loved most in this world were shattered by my betrayal. To this day, my family is broken by the, this, by the decision I made, and it is excruciating every time I see the cost I had to pay. So when Jesus says family, that's what he means. It doesn't mean to be arrogant. It doesn't mean to push family away. It means wholehearted allegiance to Jesus may do that. Hard, hard words, but so necessary. Verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. These are some stunning, heavy words right from Jesus. See, the cross was not the revered emblem that it is now. At that time, it was a symbol of Roman crucifixion. It was horrible. And so when he drops this word in there, and this is the first time Matthew records this word in his gospel, there was not a, oh, okay, the cross. There was the cross. That meant a sentence of death. And he's saying, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In verse 39, somewhat of a, of a summary statement. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Doesn't that sound radical? Shouldn't that be normal? Shouldn't we name this series instead of radical, normal? Right? Because that's what God is calling us to do. We realize when we think, and, and, and like I said, we hang on to these things so tightly. That's why we call it radical. But Jesus is calling for us that complete allegiance to him. As I said last week, Pastor Kerry told us that all of us, both as disciples and disciple makers, will find it stretching for good reason, because what it comes down to are three simple words, three words, get this, three words that we can avoid and still look like a good Christian. Three words that we allow to push us away from the real disciple-making Yet Jesus is using to compel us into a truer, truer, deeper relationship with him as the eternal reward. First one, surrender. This is something that goes against the grain. We've had this taught to us from an early age, taught in our schools and our universities, independence and freedom, things we value so much in our personal lives and as a nation, ideals which have propelled us to success and prosperity where the envy of the world and Jesus wants us, every part of every believer, to be wholeheartedly surrendered to him. 
We prefer to be in control. To some, the watered-down version of Christianity is simply adding this church stuff to my portfolio, my resume, my insurance policy. We misconstrue the, G- the concept of Jesus as being someone who is accepted or invited in, as if he were just meekly standing by, hoping somebody will notice. People, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. The only proper response on our part is complete, absolute surrender of all we are. That's the Jesus. That's who it is. Some of you, I know some of you today perhaps thinking, well, well, I don't understand this. What is this? What does this mean? Let me tell you first that the first most important step is coming to know Jesus as your personal Savior. And I don't mean, I don't mean just, yeah, I read my Bible and do the church stuff. I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. This is recognizing that God is holy and that I am a sinner. Every one of us in this room can say that I am a sinner. Because of that, I am destined for eternal death in hell. Really? Even even though I've done some good things? Really? Because God is holy and he is perfect and that's all he wants. That's the only way to get into his heaven. Well, that's it then. We're all lost. Well, no. Because, see, Jesus provided a way. God provided a way by sending his son Jesus so that he would take the penalty for us. The penalty is death, and Jesus did that on the cross. And it's us coming to that point and realizing and saying, oh, I guess I can't save myself. No. That's why Jesus came. And placing our faith and our trust in him, that is what we call salvation. Once we have crossed over that, then we realize that all that we were, all that we are, all that we will be depends on him. Verse 39, who, he who finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, once we understand and agree with and begin the process of surrender, we also begin to understand that the action includes something else. Sacrifice. Now, there are some misconceptions of sacrifice. Some think sacrifice is being available if I have time for my brother or sister in need, or taking care of my own needs and then seeing if there's anything, anyone else needing help, or making my purchases for the month and then if there's anything left over, giving it to the church. We misdefine sacrifice as any action that is beneficial to others but still allows me uninterrupted to maintain my personal level level of comfort. That's not sacrifice. See, God didn't mean for his disciples to change the world in their spare time with their spare change. Remember, Romans 12.1 calls us to be a living sacrifice. And you think about Old Testament sacrifice, what did the sacrifice give up? (laughs) It's very life. And that's what God is calling us to do. But, but, don't try to do this without the unconditional surrender that comes first. Why? 
burnout, bitterness, wanting people to notice our sacrifice or change as a result? No. See, God is not a God who is sitting there waiting to strike us in these areas that we hold dear. He is ready to use us for his glory when we do sacrifice what we hold dear. We give sacrificially not to reverse the fortunes of the poor and make everyone rich. We give sacrificially because God commands it in his expression of the good news, the gospel of Christ. We go sacrificially not because we plan on saving the whole world, but because Christ commands us. And it is an expression of the good news of the gospel of Christ. It's both and. Sacrifice means both giving and going. I don't know if you come across in the book yet, the um, uh, Radical by David Platt, the conversation that he had with an elderly saint in his, in his church who asked him the question, very good question, instead of spending that $3,000 to go over to Sudan, why don't you just give that to them? And, and trust me, that, that's a question that I wrestle with, others have wrestled with, and David Platt wrestled with as well. And then he was, when he was in Sudan, he came across a brother there who told him this. Even in light of all these things people have given us, you want to know how you can tell who a, who a true brother is? A true brother comes to be with you in your time of need. See, it's both and. It's being there. There are times when we have served in the Philippines and we have um, gone into some of the families and, and been able to hold a Bible study right there in someone's home. Uh, such a rewarding time and, and the people there sometimes just soak it up. They're just, just eager to hear whatever it is we have to say. And then there's an opportunity as well. Um, we've done this in recent years. We say, is there anything that we can pray for on your behalf? And it's not like here in the States where there's just maybe a few grumbles here and there sometimes, but people pour their hearts out. Uh, uh, you know, we need, my brother's sick, he needs, he needs this, this, and this. Um, my neighbor, uh, I'm afraid he's going to try to break in and rape me and my daughter. I mean, some serious stuff, and you're listening to stuff, and, and I'm busy writing this down, writing, what's your name again? Writing the name. And I said, okay, okay, I'll pray. And then I pray. And I just, I, it's one of those things where you realize you're just lifting them up before you can't solve all these problems. You can't possibly solve them all. But then as you pray and you lift them up before the Lord and then you look it up and say amen, you see the tears come down their cheeks because you came there and you prayed with them. How many people are saying, I, I can't possibly, I don't have the talents, I can't, I'm not a missionary. Can you pray with somebody? God looks for that. He looks for that sacrifice in our behalf. What we're called to sacrifice and surrender. But the third essential, as well, is service. Do something. It's that simple. Sometimes we get stuck on this, and it's because we haven't thoroughly engaged in surrender and sacrifice. But when that is taking place in our lives, get this, that consistent surrender and sacrifice, service will follow. Because we want to do that. We want to express to God. We want to be radical in that sense. 
of serving him. Again, don't try to do it without surrender and sacrifice because you know what happens? It, it becomes ritual. It becomes burdensome. It's short-lived. It, it's self-seeking in that you're looking for appreciation from people because the sacrifice and surrender are not there. Sometimes we recruit what we call recruit volunteers here in church, where, quite in fact, if you're a member of the church, you're a volunteer. That's, that's when, you didn't know that, did you? When you, you signed up for membership, I am a, I'm a lifelong volunteer. Yes. Uh, so we don't have volunteers and non-volunteers. Everybody's a member of the church. You're a volunteer. So when there are things that need to be done, that's where we go. The members of the church. You're the ministers of the body. But we don't, again, we don't want you to do it without the surrender and sacrifice. Then it just becomes empty. And you're just doing things. Surrender. Sacrifice to God. Serve Him. Now, I mean, the question comes, and it's interesting because we as, as elders, before we began the, the series, talked about this. Um, wh- where do I serve? Some of you might be asking, that's a legitimate question. What is there that can be done? What do we, where do we need? I'm going to be very practical in this, okay? Uh, I'm not going to be super spiritual. I'm just going to say, here are some things that are needed. All right? Here's one. Serving in a weekly ministry in the church. I'm reading this from the elders' notes that we took when we met. Serve in a weekly ministry in the church. Sunday school teachers, etc. There's so much that goes on throughout the week. Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Where we need volunteers. And sometimes we get up here and we beg, please, can somebody help? These are areas where, first and foremost, if you're going to serve, begin with a local church. There are so many needs, and I'm not even trying to list them all. If you want to find out what they are, talk to Pastor Kerry, talk to Pastor Ralph. We have a long list for you. Here's another one that we mentioned. Assist with the current and the new outreaches to men in the mission home. You know that we have this mission home across the street, right? 48 rooms, recently occupied by, occupied by new moms who have since moved out to their own building on the west side. Now we have a single men living in these rooms. Opportunity for ministry. Tons of opportunity there. Many of them are Christ followers, disciples of Jesus. Some of them are the other extreme, are the opposite, and, and know nothing about God. They need, and they're looking right across the street, there's a church. We can be a part of that, what's going on there. Here's another idea. Adopt a refugee family through World Relief. Uh, this we have talked about um, there's an organization in Chicago called World Relief, and they settle refugee families. Uh, I know that some here have done that, where, where the families come right, from, right out of the country, and, and, and it's brand new here. Everything's brand new, and what better person to first greet them and help them get acclimated to the United States than a Christian? And I've been over to World Relief. I was over there um, this past fall, and one of the things they are begging for are churches that will adopt just one family. So many churches in the Chicago area. Think of all the churches in the Chicago area if each of them just adopted one family. That'd be huge. And we've done that through one of our mosaics in the past. And temporarily, you have that family for whatever period, whatever window of time that you can have them, uh, where you're able to minister to them in some way. Uh, another one. Here's one that came up. What if each mosaic, now we have maybe 10 small groups in our church, at least, if not more. Uh, what if each mosaic adopted one of the families of the kids from inner city impact. Some of you, some of us, came from inner city impact in the past. We know how they draw in kids who are not necessarily attached to a church, right? 
And so, and they want to reach the families. What better way to do it through the church? That's what we're here for. We have four different missionary families attending Good News Bible Church from Inner City Impact. What if, what if the mosaics, just attach to just one family, that'd be ten families from kids that are not churched otherwise coming to church here, and hopefully the families as well. So I'm, these are just ideas, okay? And I'm only listing a few of them. There are many more, but we didn't just want to say, oh, go serve somewhere and not give you any ideas. Here are some very solid ideas, very practical what we can do. One more. How about a missions team? You know the different missionaries that we have? We're going to be hearing more about them in the, in the near future. We've sent the missions team to Liberia. They are begging for another one. That'd be awesome to be able to send another missions team over there. I know that Phil and Patty Eager would love to have a team down in Mexico from Good News Bible Church. There's a team, there's uh, Robert and Ruth are leading a team to Haiti in March. I'm leading a team, along with Eric and Rebecca, to the Philippines in March. This is this kind of stuff that you can get involved in. It's not for you to sit there and say, good, I hope they have a good time. No! Any one of us, any one of us can get involved in that. And not just, not just the missions team, but, but being aware of our missionaries. I know that Pastor Wilson and his wife, Grace, would like to come and visit. Um, and they need our help. They need our help being able to get over here and then a place to stay once they're here. But these are just some areas of service. You don't have to go looking and saying, oh, well, I'd really love to serve in the church, but I don't see where I could fit in anywhere. Can you pray with somebody? Can you send a card to somebody you haven't seen in a while? This kind of thing is what God is calling us to. When I say service, this is what we're looking for. This is what, listen to what um, David Platt writes in his book, Radical. This is, this is one of those things that I, I jotted down and, and then came back to and was like, oh, wow, I don't know if I want to read this or not. Okay? To everyone wanting a safe, untroubled, comfortable life, free from danger, stay away from Jesus. Ooh. The danger in our lives will always increase in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Christ. Wow. Now, I'm not looking for extremes, not for the impulsive knee-jerk reaction, dive into ministry God never intended us for, it, for us to get involved in. But at the same time, the other extreme is saying, those are some no- nice thoughts. I'll file them in my theological books, put them up on my dusty shelf, and look at them every once in a while. No. But prayerfully, carefully seeking God through his word, through prayer, through the counsel of other believers, intentionally finding those areas of surrender and sacrifice and service. As human beings, there's no question we will continue to pursue after safety, security, and satisfaction. But our safety is found in God's sovereignty. The security is found in his love, and the satisfaction is only found in his presence. That is the eternally great reward, and we would be foolish to settle for anything less. The moment the worship team is going to come and lead us in the final song, for us to reflect, 
So these are words not just to say, that's nice, let's move on. But reflect and ask God, what does that mean? I'd like to invite the prayer counselors to come down as well. If there's something that you would like them to pray for, it doesn't even have to matter, match what, what we were talking about today. If there's something on your heart that you would like to be prayed for, please come down at this time as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father,